Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Welcome to the latest episode of a Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio. Super happy to be here today. I'm joined, as always, with Sebastian Dennison. Hey, Mike. How's it going, man? You know, it's fun to be back in the studio. It's always good to have a new guest, and today we have a super guest. We do have a super guest. Actually, one of your colleagues. I know. I know. It's always fun because we, we can get really dorky, but today we are going to stay away from the dork and the clinic, and we are going to talk about money. Yay. And Mark will bring out the best of us for sure. So Mark, um, no, no stranger to the podcast, uh, obviously a member of our clinical services team, has been for a while. Um, Mark Gonzalez, welcome back to Mortar and Pestle. So good to be with you guys. I mean, this is my first time in the studio, so this feels different. I'm usually on the phone. And uh, this is much more personal. So looking forward to, to talking with you all today. Yeah, it is really cool. And you know, Mark, we, we lean on you a lot, not only for clinical assistance and clinical help. I know a lot of our members in the West Coast are familiar with you um, and how that you are a member of our clinical services team. You're able to support them in so many ways, but you're also called upon from a PCCA perspective, a lot of the time from a business point of view. Uh, I think it's really important to note that you owned, operated a compounding pharmacy for quite some time. We may have shared that on prior podcasts um, because there was a lot of relevance around you as a business owner, not only a clinician and someone that's able to be a troubleshooter for patient care, but also bring a ton of knowledge from a marketing point of view, uh, delivering passion and executing passion as part of your brand. I know those are some of the other topics that you covered on the podcast. Today, we're going to talk some, about something that I absolutely love talking about. Uh, it's the business side, the profitability of operating a pharmacy, but not only a pharmacy, a compounding pharmacy. So, you know, we have a lot to unpack. We can probably start in a million directions. Um, maybe for our, the sake of our audience, in order to give it some type of context, let's review your journey. As a business owner, you know, what prompted you to decide to own your own independent community pharmacy? Um, what, what was the, I guess you could say the defining moment to realize that you were not only going to be a business owner, but you were going to be successful at it and, you know, your journey through pharmacy as well? Sure. Well, I graduated in 98, so I uh, left Chicago College of Pharmacy and went back home to California and started working at a regular retail pharmacy. And it didn't take long to really realize that I did not enjoy counting by fives all day, and I didn't have a chance to really utilize the, the knowledge base that I had just you know, finished paying for in pharmacy school. So a few months after becoming a pharmacist and working at that spot and getting married, uh, we decided to open up a compounding pharmacy. And we started with PCCA from the very beginning. And it was a journey because I went from making my regular pharmacy wage to opening the doors and trying to convince my wife that, hey, we're going to go from this income to zero and try to open up this store and try to pursue this dream. And we had to make it work because we had nothing else. My wife was still in college at the time. So uh, we started, you know, I always tell people we started with 11 prescriptions our first month. I think it was a little under $400 and our rent was $1,400 plus all the other bills, so we had to make it profitable and we had to go out there and market. And you're forced to get this really rapid business education as an owner. And I, I didn't really have a background in business, but I knew 
but I was passionate about wanting to open that store and I was passionate about wanting to help patients. And we had to go out there and market ourselves and promote ourselves and also make smart business decisions to, to make that business work. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how we got started. So I find it funny because a lot of people will hear that story and get really scared. But I'm looking at this as an opportunity for you to share your experience and so that people aren't necessarily having to go through some of those negative consequences of like fear and anxiety and you can actually start coaching them pretty quickly. So right to the meat, um, you had to learn really quickly how to make it profitable. And so the context of this entire podcast is talking about profitability of pharmacy and profitability of compounding. Um, but currently we know one of the biggest pressures on pharmacy is decreasing reimbursements, decreasing um, actual actual, sorry, and revenue, mainly because you've got these increasing costs, you've got infl inflation, you've got increased cost of acquisition, you've got increased uh, cost of labor, and you've got all of these pressures downward on profitability, and you've seen it all. So we're kind of, we're introducing you to say, this is how we can reverse some of those negative profitability trends. And we don't want to paint too grim of a picture because we want to get to the good stuff because that's what people are here for. So um, what part do you want to start with and where do you want to go? And what well, are some of the key pieces that you think that our members really need to start focusing on today? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to realize, and, and for some reason I caught on to this early, is that no matter what kind of setting we're in, so no matter what the economy's like, no matter what reimbursements are, no matter what may be happening ex happening externally in our industry, the services that we provide bring value. They are helpful, they change lives, and that will never change. So when we look at it from that standpoint, it doesn't matter what kind of environment you're in, we should be able to be profitable. We should be able to be successful in what we do because what we do brings value. I was just sharing with you guys earlier that I was in Maine this last weekend and we were talking about how much a lobster roll costs. So my daughter and I went over to Maine uh, on a father-daughter trip, and we, our goal was to have a main lobster roll. And we had no idea how much it cost. We go up to this, you know, this booth uh, in a park, and it was $38. And we were going to pay what we were going to pay, what, whatever the price was, because that was the service we wanted. We wanted lobster. We wanted from Maine. And when people come to your store, and when people see that you have the solution to their problem. And this is usually a problem that they've been suffering with for years, right? I mean, people make it to the compounding pharmacy after they've visited doctors, after they've visited specialists and have been told, no, there aren't any options for you. And then they come into your store and they find out that you have an option. That's valuable to them. Now, it doesn't mean that we should take advantage of them, but it also doesn't mean that we should undercut ourselves and undercharge and, and not become profitable because we, we should. I mean, the only way you're gonna stay in business if you have one of these stores is if you charge appropriately. You have to generate a profit to continue your business. So you have to, I think, first realize and teach your staff that what you do has value and, and make sure that you define what that value is, not only to your store and your staff, but also to your patient, because they don't even know. They don't know the changes that you can make in their life with a simple compound. So imparting value is gonna be very important regardless of the situation that our economy's in or we're in personally. I, th I think one of the most common questions that we get, or I won't even call it a question, it could be also a concern or a challenge or a roadblock for you know an individual who's thinking about getting involved in compounding. They're obviously at a crossroads, right, Mark? 
same crossroads that you're at. You know, what direction do they want to take? They might currently already be an owner. Um, they might feel the stress of where they're at from, you know, their retail gross profit margins. And then they, they look to compounding as an additional avenue of, of revenue. It's, it's a completely different world. You have the ability to, you know, to work as a cash business. Um, you have the ability to price the value that you're trying to deliver. Um, and I think where, where it's a sticking point is that everyone starts to figure out a break-even analysis first. They realize that there's costs involved. There's you know investments that need to be made, um, and then they get they might get so overwhelmed with that. But how did you overcome that whole process? Because I think that w is a really cool story in itself, or could be. And to be honest with you, I don't even know specifically what ran through your head at that point. But I'm assuming when you were looking at your first 11 scripts that you did in the first month, knowing that you had this overhead of rent and the amount of time that you were investing, and you obviously wanted to take home a salary as well. Sure. So, you know, what was the inflection point for you to realize, I have a value to bring, there might be a price for it, but not only, we're not making this discussion a, a pricing podcast episode, it's definitely not that, it's mm -hmm. how did you deliver the passion, find the value, bring that to the physician and to the patient, and then obviously turn that into profitability? Yeah, I, I think part of what I had to do initially, because I was 26, I had never, you know, this was my first few months in, in my profession. Uh, part of the reason I joined PCCA is I realized I was not able to do all this on my own. I didn't have all the ideas, I didn't have the knowledge base, and I needed a team of people around me. So I would say for me, as a young pharmacist and as a young business owner, it was really important for me to have a team of professionals around me that I could rely on. I had marketing specialists, I had clinical specialists, I had people here that could inform me about different devices. So I, I wasn't alone. And I think business owners often try to do it and try to become successful on their own. Whereas if you have a team of people surrounding you, you're more likely to be successful. So that was a big part of my success was just the support that I had behind me. And I knew that these people were for me. You know, I was new to PCCA at that point. And you know, I didn't really know the character of the company like I do now, but I knew that they were behind me and they, they were there to support me and guide me through the process. But I had to reach out to them. As a business owner, you know, we, people aren't just gonna come to you and, and give you information. You have to reach out to them and reach out and build contacts and build, you know, get to know colleagues. And, and that's what helped guide me. It was the success of others that helped propel me towards my own success. With, with all that being said, what were some, some of the things that you were focusing on early on and then throughout your ownership of your practice? Was, what, what truly helped make you profitable where you saw that there was a ton of opportunities, you doubled down on it, and then it was just something that became part of your goal setting, part of your overall strategy, and, and throughout the entire time that you owned and operated the pharmacy? I would say initially what we had to do was develop a foundation of income that was gonna be coming in month after month. You know, there are compounds that can come in that are one-timers, you know, things that you just may make one time and then the patient may not need it again. And then there's also services that we can provide that are gonna be month after month. So we really made it a focus 
and a plan to build our financial foundation on hormone replacement because we knew that those patients were gonna come in month after month and then we could build upon that. Secondly, we also knew that the majority of those patients that were coming in for hormone replacement were going to be women. And women are going to usually be the ones that, that they're the decision makers when it comes to healthcare and the family. So if we could build trust with those female patients, if we could take care of their symptoms, resolve the problems that they had, they're more likely at that point to trust us with all the other things. They're more likely to trust us with their kids and their dermatological care and their acne. They're more likely to trust us with their pets. They're more likely to trust us with their husbands as well, right? They're going to come in. They, they know they have issues, but they know that their husbands have way more issues. So we found when we were able to connect with that decision maker in the family and have that income coming in month after month, that was our best marketer. It was the patient that was happy, that was satisfied, that found the value that we had told them that they were going to find in our product. They were the ones that were going to go out there and help continue to build our business while we, because we had a small staff. I mean, it was myself Initially, within the first few months, it was just three of us, me, my wife, and, and a, a secretary that was working for us. So we needed to build a strong financial foundation, and HRT allowed us to do that back in 1999. So the flip side is of that conversation, so you found your, you found your advocates within the family as the healthcare decision maker. So what was your next piece after developing that foundation of repeating scripts? Because... I can I can get people in the door if I go cheap, 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 but not necessarily get profitable. So what was a, yeah. your next step there? Because I can get people in with the sale, but I need the repeated sale, but I also need to make it profitable. Yeah, and we, we made sure not to be cheap in any of our products. I mean, in, in our region, in Southern California, we probably had one of the highest concentrations of compounding pharmacies in the country. And we made sure that we were on the top tier of our pricing and the top tier of our services. We wanted to offer a great product, a great service, but we also wanted to offer it at a price that was going to bring in a profit. So that was part of it. It was just making sure that what we did, we were the best at and we weren't the cheapest. We did lose some patients because of our pricing, but a lot of those patients would leave and then come back because they realized that although they were able to find a lower price, they were, they, they were missing the quality component of it as well. I think once you develop that foundation with that month after month prescription, I think a big part of it is educating yourself. We don't realize that to become profitable, we first have to become educated. You know, right now at PCCA, we have the VET Symposium going on as we speak, and we have pharmacists that are here and they're learning about new technologies, new therapies that can help their patients when they go back home. So I made sure that the very first, I'd say five years, I attended every symposium, every seminar that I could, because as I would become educated, I would come back with innovative ideas, and I made sure to at least implement five of those ideas right when I would get back. And maybe it was a new service. Maybe it was a, a new idea when it came to derm. I mean, now we have things like LDN and uh, autoimmune conditions that are really on the forefront of what compounders do. But being innovative is going to come from being educated. And you want to take that education and then promote it and, and let your patients know, let your staff know. I always educated my staff. I think that was another really important part of us being profitable. The more that they knew, the more likely they were going to share that with the customers they would come uh, in contact with and the doctors they would come in contact with. So uh, that's kind of how we moved to the next step in becoming profitable. And that education led into consulting. Yes, yeah. So consulting is something that a lot of us 
as pharmacists are very hesitant to do because of the fact that when you are meeting with your first 10 patients, you most of the time you don't feel you have the knowledge base that you need to, to give that patient what they're looking for. So it can be a, a sticking point and a lot of pharmacists just don't ever get into the consulting business because of the fact that they don't feel prepared enough. I, I was one of them. I mean, I'll never forget meeting with my first patient, you know, this 26 year old Mark, and then I'm meeting with this 50 year old menopausal woman. And I have no idea what she's going through, but I had to be there and I had to be there for her and I had to make sure that she felt confident in the services that we could provide. Uh, and when we consulted, we also charged for that service. We never offered it for free. I find when you consult patients for free, they're not going to remember what you say, they're not gonna find value in what you say. Uh, and they actually appreciate it and are, are, they're more compliant with the information when they're paying for it. But to get back to the, the confidence component of it, what I did initially is I said, okay, I'm gonna make this, these first consultations that I do over the first few months, I'm going to make it all about the patient sharing information with me. And I would start off, I would set the expectations from the very beginning and I would let the patient know, hey, this, this half hour, one hour session that we have, I'm going to collect information from you then I'm going to go back and research that information and then I will call you back with an answer. And the patient actually loved that. They loved that there was a professional willing to research their case. So then all the pressure was off me. I didn't have to deliver any type of knowledge in that half hour or hour. And then after I would speak with them, of course, I would get on the phone and call 1-800-331-2498, speak with my you know, PCCA consultant and I would walk through these cases with them and they trained me on how to consult patients. So eventually I was able to get to the point where I could give them information during the consultation, but uh, it was a great service that, that we provided and patients loved it because they started referring their friends over to us. I mean, we're not used to healthcare professionals listening to our problems for a half hour to an hour. And I only had one person ever in 19 years complain about the pricing. Most of them said we weren't charging enough and most of them were just grateful that they could pay for that time to be heard and that that consultation would then result in a recommendation that would help you know, propel them towards being healthier. Was it solely focused early on from you know, an HRT point of view or is it also nutritional information or drug-induced nutrient depletion, things of that nature? It, the first year I started with HRT just because I wanted to learn how to be a good consultant. And then after that, once I had that skill to the point where I felt comfortable in speaking and interacting with the patient and knowing what their expectations were, that's when we started branching out into other avenues. So nutrition, my wife uh, went to school for food and nutrition, so she would even meet with patients and come up with dietary plans. And all these things would feed into the pharmacy, right? So every consultation would feed into some kind of service we provided at the store. But nutrition was part of it, pain management. Uh, we had people coming in and we would meet with them about their children that were, you know, that had autism. So it did branch out, but I, I spent the first year focusing on one specialty so that I could understand not just the clinical part of that specialty, but what does it take to be a consultant? What works? Some of the things I tried didn't work and some of the things I tried did. So I wanted to see how I could try to at least perfect or excel at communicating. And then that's when we branched out into other services. But it was a big part of the profitability of our store because here's the thing, when you start charging for consultations, 
that patient is invested in your pharmacy. When they've come in and they've spent $198 in an hour to meet with you, they're invested. And when they're invested, they're more likely to follow through with the therapy that you recommend. And they're also more likely to see the value in that product, in that service, and come back for that service in the future again. So that's it. it consulting was a big part of what made us profitable as an independent pharmacy. How targeted were you on your, your numbers in terms of the breakdown, analyzing the revenue, knowing where the streams were, um, having a better understanding of what the consulting contributed to the overall scope of, of revenue coming in and what that meant to your bottom line? Yeah, we would look at our profit and loss on a regular basis and really break down, okay, how now that we've implemented consulting, how is that increasing our sales of nutritional supplements? Mm -hmm. How is that increasing... Uh, are compounding because we did notice once we started offering that service, people would leave with a recommended therapy, so they were more likely to use it for compounding. So we did notice an increase overall in those numbers. And I, I do think it's important that pharmacists understand their numbers. We Many times the reason we're not profitable is we, we don't look at the numbers. We don't look at what areas are successful and what areas are not. And I think when we analyze those numbers, and if you don't know how to do it, just sit down with your accountant or sit down with, a, you know, hire an accountant to look over it with you, and you'll find that uh, knowing those numbers is going to help you know what you need to do to grow and to become more profitable. See, even as you're talking, I'm doing quick math in my head, and I'm assuming this was, what, 20, 20 plus years ago um, that you embarked on this adventure of, you know, personalized consulting, and you mentioned a price of $100 an hour. My assumption would be that, you know, most pharmacies that are doing consulting work with their patients are probably charging even more now. And I, th and I think the commentary that we also get from a lot of pharmacists, I don't have the time. Everyone will always say that, right? I don't have the time. There's no way. I, can I can't be split in more than one ways. But if you see that there's profitability there and they're building, let's say, on average $150 for a consult, hire another pharmacist. Absolutely. Um, free them up. Obviously, everyone knows what the pharmacy market is like in regards to potential labor costs, but that that doesn't match what the cost of a consult would be. So there's profitability in building your staff, offering consulting and consultations as part of your practice. If you take yourself uh, take a step back and and realize that there's profitability that lies with what your value is as within your profession the knowledge that you have, and then obviously double down on it by saying, I'm just going to hire another pharmacist to take care of the stuff that is taking me away from consulting. Did you hit a point where you realized that as well? I, I did realize that. I, I would say the price right now, if I were charging a patient right now, would be about $200 an hour right. or $199. $199 sounds better than $200. <laughs> so there's just something about that. Which psychology. is also a pricing and profitability component too. So. Absolutely. But what I realized is as my consulting, because I was a one-man show for many years, as my consulting started to increase, then I had to also look at, well, what am I doing? Because I'm running out of time in the lab and there's other things I need to do, what can I do to become more efficient in the lab? Because another part of profitability is efficiency. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at all the beyond use state studies that PCCA has now. People don't realize that that it's not just that you're g getting to give a patient something that's going to last longer or have a longer beyond use state. It also means that you're going to make that product less often, which means that that's going to increase your efficiency, give you more time to do these other things that mm -hmm. are profitable. So 
by losing a lot of my time, I had to force myself to look at where was I wasting time in the pharmacy and what could I do to become more efficient there so that I would have more time to meet with patients. Because meeting with patients built built my business. I mean, that was a yeah. big, big part of it. Well, it's it's not only just the sitting down and ha- having the conversation and getting the $199 for that hour, but it's the recommendations that they follow through and then they become a repeat uh, prescription business sure. component. And once they've had one consultation, they may have another or they'll make the recommendations. But effectively, it's not just doing the consultations, it's the services rendered post-conversation that are really going to build up your your consistent cash flow. Like you said, repeat business is going to be, how do I build that first and foremost? And that's all part and parcel. So that kind of leads me in a totally different question. Um, And because I'm I'm thinking about workflow efficiencies and staffing, at some point, when, like, how many compounds are you looking at when you're saying, I've got one tech, I've got two tech, I've got three techs? Are, are, did you have like sort of a magic number where you're like, oh, I need to, I, there's a certain level of efficiency and there's a certain level of I'm f- building pyramids. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure that everyone is happy and efficient, but not overburdened. Um, did you have some some numbers that you could share with an idea of staffing levels? You know, Because I've that, been asked that about five times this, just this last week. Well, and it's going to vary from place to place. So when, I, when I'm asked that question, I often ask, well, what is your pharmacy to you know, your pharmacist to pharmacy, pharmacy technician ratio. In California, where I'm from, it's one-to-one. So that really limits you significantly. Uh, that's part of the reason that we always made sure to bring in students. I love educating. I love working with other people. I know that a huge part of the reason why I'm a pharmacist is because there were people that invested in me and that mentored me. And I always wanted that to be part of my business model. And in California, we had to make it part of our business model because, not just because I wanted to do it, but because it was, it was a help. We were able yep. to teach these students. They were able to learn. And at the same time, they provided a service to our store. So I think the answer to that just depends on what that ratio is and making sure that you're efficient in everything that you, that you do. Uh, so efficiency you know, goes across the board starting with order entry, starting with even organizing our day. I think another reason why we were profitable is we were on the same page. So we would start our mornings every morning with a staff meeting. And that staff meeting helped us to look at the orders that we had for that day, know what we had to do, know how we could consolidate some of those prescriptions or some of those batches of medications. Uh, When everyone's on the same page, they're going to know what's happening and they're gonna be more efficient and efficiency will always equal increased profitability. So, you know, it, it starts from the, from the top down and the bottom up. I mean, it's, it's both sides. You're, you have to make sure that all of you are doing the same thing with the same goal in mind. And uh, as pharmacist initially, I think I wanted to run everything myself. I wanted to make sure I was in control of everything. And, and I had to realize that delegation, trusting the staff that I had brought in and letting them do what they're gifted at was one of the ways that we were able to grow efficiently over time. So, you know, Mark, another thing that comes to mind is you talk about the passion, you talk about the value, you talk about the the operational efficiencies and consultation, all of that wrapped together, you know, making a successful practice. Was there anything that you leveraged at the product end um, that that set you apart um, in regards to your quality and the ability to also see value in the product itself, not just 
the the actual practice that you were operating and, and owning? Sure. I mean, I think when, when you look at the product level, part of the reason I joined PCCA was because uh, with the concentration of compounding pharmacies in my area, I wanted to make sure that as a PCCA member, I had a, a competitive advantage over those people that were around me. And part of what PCCA membership provided me was access to bases that were developed that had science behind them that allowed me to provide a better product. When you look at some of the bases that we have, you know, Zematop, Clarifying Base, some of these bases actually have therapeutic properties in and of themselves that will help the the medication and the compound you're making work better than just a regular base. So we made sure to really focus in on bringing in PCCA bases and marketing those to our patients and to our practitioners. So if there was something that I was making in a regular cream base and a patient was coming in and they had a, they had a condition, let's say like eczema, I, I would actually let them know we can put this in a regular cream base or we can put it in something like Zematop and Zematop has these properties that's gonna help with your eczema, it's gonna help decrease inflammation. It's gonna be a little bit more, but I think it's gonna work a lot better. And that actually was very helpful for us in, in building profitability because there's this misconception that as new bases and as new technology comes in that for some reason we have to charge the same price for the same compound. And I, I don't agree with that. If you have a base that is superior to something that you've been using, offer that as an upcharge to the patient. Let them know, you know, patients, will not mind changes in prices if they understand why the price is changing. You know, when you go to a restaurant, and I'm sorry that all my examples are food-based. when are you, you go hungry? I, think I am. I'm a little is. hungry. I it's it's, it's lunchtime it right now. It completely works. So when you go to a restaurant and you, you know, you'll see like there's, there was this restaurant we went to and it's a fixed price menu. So you go in and say it's $49 for three, uh, for three dishes and you sit down and then on the bottom they'll say as a supplement if you want you can add this or you can add this special cut of meat for an extra 15 or 20 dollars people will pay for it because people usually want the best they don't mind paying for it when they know what they're getting so if you're a PCCA member you have a competitive advantage in being able to have access to bases that can not only help your patients in a different way but increase your overall profit margin and that, that actually brings me to another point, which I think Mike was talking about earlier, yearly increases. Um, I, I, I can remember the days of the patients walking in and being like, I've been paying the same for my hormones for the last 10 years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you fix it. I'm like, yeah, next month it's going to be double. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be so abrupt. Yeah. But it is important to have that discussion because we are facing certain pressures and price increases. And using these proprietary bases gives you a, a reason to have those price increases. Correct. But also, what you've been doing for the past five years, it costs more today than it did even last year. So price increases every year. What is inflation this year, Mike? Six point yeah. something percent? Six percent, 40 year high from an economic outlook point of view. So I think the word inflation has been thrown around so much in 2022 and was a thing in 2021. And you know, you brought it up as well, Seb. It's it's impact on labor costs. It's uh, operational costs. You know, electricity, fuel's gone up, oil costs have gone up. It, these are all contributing factors to everything going on in the pharmacy. And then you start looking at stuff that most people don't even consider. You know, insurance policies have gone up. Mm -hmm. um, appraised values of of buildings have gone up. So it's a ripple effect that 
is so incredibly important that people don't necessarily pay much attention to because they always assume that, well, the drug cost is the drug cost and I'm going to maintain my profit margin. This is what I'm going to sell it for. Well, what have you done as a business owner to take all these factors and things into consideration to make, not only search for extra profit, I don't think this is a greed um, sentiment. No. I, I know you, you brought up doubling the price. Obviously, it's not done for the purpose of greed, but how do you evaluate increased profitability because also as a business owner, you have all these external factors being thrown at you. So, you know, what are some of the things that you looked at, Mark, um, that were just extremely relevant and, and brought into play, not necessarily every single month or every six months, but year to year? Like, how did you evaluate costs, economic conditions, what was happening within the pharmacy, and also aligned it with your goals as an organization? Sure, and I, I do agree with you that it, it cannot be greed-based. It has to be sustainability-based. Mm -hmm. You know, we, of course, want to offer a great product at a reasonable price to patients, but we have to remember that if we do not maintain price increases over a period of time, every time you don't increase your price, you're decreasing your profitability. And as you decrease your profitability, you're going to decrease the services that you can provide that patient. It's gonna decrease your ability to bring on extra equipment. It's gonna decrease your ability to bring on an extra staff member that you may need to provide those consultations. So to sustain a successful business, it requires price increases. So we never did it out of greed, we did it out of sustainability. And then secondly, we, we made sure to do it at the beginning of each year. I did make that mistake the first few years of not, out of fear, not increasing my prices on my hormones because I figured I was already one of the highest priced pharmacies in the area. If I increased it by 5%, then people were, they were gonna leave. And then what happened is I didn't increase it over three years and then all of a sudden I needed to increase it and I went from, you know, instead of increasing three or 5%, I had to jump up 10% and people did start to respond then. When I started increasing little by little each year, and I, I chose the beginning of the year because most companies will have a change in their pricing structure then, patients seem to understand. And if any of them ever questioned it, I let them know why. I let them know that we are doing this because we want to stay at the top. We're bringing in this new equipment, we're bringing in these new services, and we're doing that with the profits that we gain from the business. So very rarely would people complain but when they did, we would, we would share with them why. And we just made sure to do it year after year because you, you have to. Your prices are going to go up. Your costs are going to go up. And uh, the cost should go up to the patient as well. But there's a hesitation. There's a fear. And the reality is how often as a consumer are you exposed to price increases? More often than not, you don't realize <laughs> it. Um, and when, it's, when you call attention to it, as a consumer, you're probably... Uh, accepting of, of what is about to happen. But as an owner who's setting up pricing, there is a hesit hesitation, there's a fear. How do you overcome that, Mark? I, I, I just found over time that when I was fearful about making a decision that I had to look at it from a different lens. I had to look at it through the lens of what am I going to do to maintain my store, to maintain my staff, because I wanted to maintain a healthy environment, not just for my patients, but for the people that were working for me. And when fear started to creep into my mind, that's when I had to step back and, and just talk it through. I had to walk through, okay, why do I need to make this decision? I, I don't wanna do anything based out of fear, but I also don't want to do 
I don't want to not make a decision that I need to make because I'm fearful. I have to step forward trusting that the, the system that has been in place for years that I implemented in my store would continue to work, and it did. Uh, and, you know, when you're, when you're focused on fear, you're not going to move forward. But if you move forward and you price things accordingly, and as I mentioned, explain why you're doing it, people just want to know why. They want to know what they're paying for. And most of the time, by the end of our 19 years, people rarely would ever question us about price anymore because we had established a culture and a store based off of quality. And that's what we are known for. You know, when you go to that nice restaurant again, you're not going to question the increase in that steak every year because you know you go there for the steak. You're not going there for the price. When people came to our pharmacy, they came there for the service, not for the pricing. And, and that was the difference. That was your last food analogy, too. I know. That's yeah. it. That's it. I promise. <laughs> Three. I'm done. And I think it is important to say that the service encompasses more than just the customer service aspect of fast and efficient, but we're talking about outcome for the patient, mm-hmm. clinical outcome, the, um, the, the resolution of the reason that they walked into the pharmacy in the first place. You're providing a health care service not a customer service. It's not coffee service at, the, at, at, at a counter. See, I had to slip one in there too. Um, what? What? It's food and Do, beverage. It applies. It, it, it does apply. Well, yeah. I mean, people never, I when I would hear people talk, and even now, now that I, it's been four and a half years since I've sold my store, I've never heard anyone say, I went to Mark's Pharmacy because of the price. I heard them say, I went there because of resolutions. I went there because they provided solutions that I could trust in. And there were even doctors. There was a doctor that contacted me last week. And this doctor, for the first like 18 years that I had the store, never would prescribe anything. And then he started trusting in me that last year. And now he, he still contacts me. And I had a chance to speak with him because he knew there were solutions there. And that's what I wanted us to be known for. And, and that reputation still continues at that pharmacy. So, uh, yeah, people don't worry about price when, when you're focused on making them well. Because in the end, that's what they want. They want to be well, and they're going to do that. They're, they don't want to be gouged for that, right? There has right. to be a fair price, but they, they want to be well more than they want a discount. And I think, I think that's something that we also focused on when, when uh, I was in practice many moons ago at this point, um, but we, we, weren't, we weren't worried about the price of our competitors across the street who were saying, well, we can do it cheaper. We were saying, well, look at what we're going to do for you. And we stood behind our, our, our products and we stood behind our consultations. We stood behind our service. And my staff that I was so fortunate to work with were all so, so invested in what we were doing. We were, again, we were all focused on that health of the patient. And at the end of the day, when you fix problems, Fair price is a fair price. Yeah. No one complains. Yep. So. And the most, one of the most popular sayings ever, price is only an issue in the absence of value. Sounds great. It does. I like that. It does make sense, but it's a lot of what you talked about. Um, Mark, is that thank, your quote, Mike? It's <laughs> definitely not mine. We'll not, <laughs> we'll not take credit on that. Mark, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for, for coming on. And, and I know you have, as a, as a business owner, and not only a member of our clinical team, but you have talked about passion you talked about how to you know raise the watermark for a compounding pharmacy but you know this was a different spin on it because you're also talking about your journey what made you profitable and um i think will resonate with a lot of folks but could not thank you enough for for coming into the studio and doing this yeah thanks for having me good to see you guys in person 
It's great to have you, and thanks, Eb. Oh, I, I love this. I'm always learning, and it's always good to be here in the studio. And Quinton, thank you for everything. You're always a, a rock star making sure this goes smoothly. And thanks to our listeners out there. We appreciate you hanging on. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you do not miss an episode. Uh, follow us along Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. As always, this is Mike Delisio. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.